Amen. I want to start by saying that the way we view the world matters. The way we view the world matters. So I am actually blind. I wear contacts all the time. Uh, For those of you who wear contacts or glasses, my prescription is negative six, which I, I did a little bit of research. If 2020 is normal vision, my vision is 2600 which is not good. Um, My mom and dad are in the room. I inherited my wonderful eyesight from my father. So in order for me to see the world as it is, I need glasses. If I have the wrong glasses or if I don't have my glasses or my contact, the world is just one big blur. So for me, the lens I use to view the world really matters. Without it, I'm blind. Now, interestingly, I recently read that one in 200 women are colorblind. But even more interesting, I found that one in 12 men are also colorblind. All the wives in the room are like, yeah, that that sounds about right. (laughs) One time, my wife sent me an email while I was at work, and she said, hey, I want you to take this test. And I clicked on it, and it was a test to tell whether or not you were colorblind. It kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But here's, here's something that I didn't know. Colorblind, I, I thought for the longest time it meant you only saw gray. But the reality is that's not true. Colorblindness causes you to see some colors incorrectly. So I've got a picture of an example of what that looks like, what a person without colorblindness would see versus what a person with colorblindness would see. So if we could put that on the screen, there you go. So you've got watermelon with the red and green on the left there, and on your right, for those who are color vision deficient, the the greens and reds don't don't jump out. It looks kind of just a a washed out color. However, about a decade ago, scientists invented some glasses that helped those with colorblindness see color in its full range. So I actually want to show you a video. It's about one minute long. We're a kid. He's got to be about eight or nine. His mom gets him these, color, uh, these, these glasses to help him see colors. And I just want you to see how his entire world has changed. So if you'll play the video real quick. Okay. You ready? Okay. I got you some new sunglasses. Huh? Okay. But why did you make them park there? Because... Come on. Weird. Okay, put them on now. What? Okay, look at your case and tell me what color that is. Uh. Wait, are are these my color? Yeah. Oh my god. This is red. Oh my gosh. This and that's white. Look, look at the sign up there. What's that? And oh my gosh, that's yellow. Ah, don't go out there. And, and, and this is black. And, and, and this is white. What color is that car? Oh my gosh, it's kind of cor- 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 blue. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Oh, finally I can see the colors. Oh, and, and that has a blue outline, kind of like yellow, kind of. Kind of. And come here. These are awesome. When you see the world as God intended, 
It's life-changing. It's life-changing. And this matters spiritually, too. And this morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. And I have a little bit I want to say to kind of set up for the context. Philippians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul from prison in Rome to the church in Philippi. And what I love about the book of Philippians is for Paul, it is a deeply personal book. It's, it's almost autobiographical. In the book of Philippians, we see into the personal life and the heart of the Apostle Paul in a way unlike we do in any other book of the Bible. It's clear as you read that Paul is very close to this church. They are deep, personal friends. And so what he shares, the way he writes, it's intimate and personal. He shares more of himself and his heart in this book than he does anywhere else. And what I love is as Paul writes from prison, the theme of the book is joy. And you may wonder, how can you write about joy from prison? Well, the answer is gospel. Because in Philippians, we get to see the world, how Paul, transformed by the gospel, sees it. Throughout the book of Philippians, Paul invites his readers to put on gospel lenses. To put on gospel lenses. And in the passage we're going to read, we get to see the world as Paul sees it through gospel lenses. We're going to see difficulty through gospel lenses. We're going to see conflict as Paul saw it through gospel lenses. And we're going to see life and death as Paul saw it through gospel lenses. So there's, there's a simple truth that we see in God's word this morning. And the truth is this, only through the gospel can you see the world as God intended it. Only through the gospel can you see the world as God intended it. Only if you put on your gospel glasses can you see the world as God created it and for you to see it. Now, I want to pause real quick and be careful because I don't want to take this analogy of gospel glasses too far because I think there's something we need to get. The gospel is much more than just a lens. The gospel is an inside-out transformation. The gospel of Jesus is that he is the son of God who lived a perfect life where you and I can't. And for anyone who places their faith in him, in Jesus, Jesus takes that person's sinful life onto himself and then he took the punishment for that sinful life when he died on the cross. As we saying just earlier, he took our sin and our sorrows and made them his own. And if you trust in him, Jesus takes your sinful life and he exchanges it for his perfect life. He said, I took Drew's sinful life onto myself and in exchange, I give him my perfect life. So y'all, when God the Father looks at me, he doesn't see me and my imperfections. He sees the perfect life of Jesus, and he approves. That's the gospel message, but it gets even better. Because when I put my faith in Jesus, the Bible promises me and you that you get a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, tells us that anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. 
And so when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, we're not just talking about gospel lenses, right? We're talking about something that happens in the core of who we are that makes us new. It's an inside-out transformation. However, however, when God the Father, through the work of Jesus Christ, transforms us from the inside out, we also must have the same gospel be the lens through which we use the world. And this is important because we have a choice. And the choice is this. Will you choose to see the world in the light of what an eternal God has done for you through his eternal son, Jesus Christ, or will you choose to see the world through anything else? It's the choice that every single one of us faces. Yes, we've been transformed from the inside out, but the reality is that even though we've been transformed, sometimes we put on other lenses. Sometimes we put on other lenses. We have a tendency to put on glasses that are something less than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thought of a few that I encounter all the time with my college students. The first is this. Sometimes we put on the lens of success. The lens of success. When we put on these lenses, we evaluate everything by how successful it makes me look. And if you find yourself often asking the question, will that thing advance me? And that is your decision-making metric. There's a good chance these lens shape the way you view the world and make decisions. For example, sometimes we choose to associate, who to associate with based on whether or not they advance us to the next stage of success. You help me advance, you're in. You don't help me advance, you're out. Another lens we could put on to view the world is the lens of security. And this is evaluating everything by whether or not it gives you a feeling of security. And so if you find yourself asking, will this make me secure? This could be you. For example, maybe you've planned your life to find security through acquiring wealth and possessions. And so you view every decision you make through those lenses. A third lens we can put on is the lens of happiness. We evaluate everything according to how it makes us feel. Maybe you ask yourself, will this make me happy? And that's the decision-making question you ask. So, for example, if you find that you avoid the difficult things, even if you know they are right, because they make you unhappy, maybe these are the lenses you're using to view the world. Now, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with success, security, and happiness. That's not the point. But when any of those things become our lenses through which we as the transformed people of God and Jesus Christ view the world, we cannot see the world as God intended us to see it. Because only through the gospel can we see the world as God intended us to see it. So in Philippians 1, we get to look at the world through Paul's gospel glasses. And as we do that, we get a picture of how the gospel radically reorients the way we see the world. So we're going to read this passage, and then we're going to ask this question. How? How does the gospel reshape our view of life's most pressing issues? Read with me Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. 
Paul writes from prison to the church in Philippi and says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter, those who preach from goodwill, do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. But the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that, the God, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which of these I will choose, life or death, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Y'all pray with me. Father, I ask that you help us to understand your words. That, Lord, we will see your gospel not as an appendage to our life, but as something that has transformed us from the inside out. And, Lord, it becomes our worship of Jesus becomes the way we see everything else and that we live in every way for his glory and ask all these things in his name. Amen. So our question is, how does the gospel reshape our view of life's most pressing issues? And I want to, from this passage, share three issues with you and see how the gospel causes us to see them differently. All right, so look back, verse 12. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul is in prison, and he's in prison in Rome. The heart of an empire that is antagonistic towards Jesus and his followers. So, so get that. The empire Rome, who doesn't like Christians, has now imprisoned one of their, their strongest leaders, teachers. And to be honest, if I'm in Paul in that situation, y'all, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm giving up. Because Paul is a church planter. How do you plant churches while in prison? But, because Paul 
sees the world through a gospel lens, he sees opportunity in difficulty. All right, so we ask this question, how does the gospel reorient the way we see the world? Our first answer is this, in difficulty, we see gospel opportunity. In difficulty, we see gospel opportunity. So in the midst of this difficulty, while sitting in a prison cell as a church planter, Paul doesn't quit. Instead, he says this, I know that I'm in prison to advance the gospel. And there's two things that, that are happening that Paul tells us about. He, uh, he says that the very Roman imperial guard has heard about Jesus, all of them. So while in prison, you need to know that Paul would have had a guard that would rotate through about every four hours, a, a fresh guard every four hours. And so Paul, when thrown into prison, he doesn't shut down his ministry. In fact, Paul does the same thing he does every single time he goes to a new place. He walks into that place, he looks around, and he says, who needs to hear the gospel? And so Paul, in chains, in prison, he looks around and he says, who needs to hear the gospel? And then he looks up and he says, okay, here's a guard who has to stay with me for four hours, no matter what, as required by the Roman Empire, by their government, who, by the way, hate us, and he has no choice. He's about to listen to the gospel for the next four hours. I'm about to gospel the mess out of this guy. And in four hours, I get another audience. And I love this passage because he's, he's almost a little smug, right? Yeah, they thought by arresting me that they would shut down the mission of God. Ha ha. The whole guard is heard. So first, Paul says that the very imperial guard has heard about Jesus. But second, Paul tells us that his imprisonment has served to embolden the believers in Rome. Paul would have had access to visitors while in prison. Believers in Rome would have come and checked on him and visited him. And his boldness with the gospel towards his imprisoners, his jailers, would have likely served as a testimony to the persecuted church in Rome. If Paul's preaching to his, his jailers, like, we can share with the people we're around. So now for you, church, I want to ask this. Do you see obstacles to ministry and shut down? Or do you pivot and look for gospel opportunity? Because Paul, in difficulty, saw gospel opportunity. Missionary Hudson Taylor once said this, and I love it. He said, many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources. Many Christians estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources. Right? So what he's saying is we see difficulty and we think, I don't have what it takes to do that. Then he goes on to say this, 
because they estimate difficulties in the light of their own resources, they attempt little and often fail in the little they do attempt. But all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his power and presence with them. And I love that. Missionary Hudson Taylor sees the world with gospel glasses, just like Paul. And he said, true giants of God are those who reckon not on their own resources, but on the presence and power of God with them. Y'all, every single follower of Jesus has God's spirit dwelling inside of them. So we have access to his power and his presence. No difficulty or obstacle is going to shut down the mission of God. And in every opportunity or every difficulty, we look for opportunity. So I want to give you an example of what this could look like. The, the, the COVID shutdown of a year and a half ago was difficult for many of us, but especially for those of us who are ministry leaders. How do you do church when the way you've always done church is having to change? When you can't meet in person. And I remember uh, April, a year and a half ago, just, just kind of struggling with that question. And, and I talked to a friend, a mentor of mine who, who lives in Texas. He's been a mentor to me for several years. Uh, he was the executive pastor of a church that met with 15,000 every Sunday. 15,000 gathering together every Sunday. And that's the way they ch did church. But then COVID hit. And 15,000 together was out of a question. And for, for many, that, that would be an identity crisis. What do we do? But for him, he didn't wake up and, and shut down. He didn't throw up his hands and stop working. Instead, he looked at the time he had suddenly been given as a gift. No longer putting together services for 15,000 people. He said, what could I do with this time that would glorify God? And he looked at that time and he said, you know what? Most of the people that have been coming to my church, they don't have anything to do either. I'll bet in the next six months I could disciple 200 men. And he laid it out and that's what he did. He took the time he had suddenly been given as a gift from God and said, I'm going to disciple 200 people. And that's 200 men who he could send out from his church as disciple makers to engage the world. In difficulty, a gospel lens allows us to see opportunity because we serve a great God. Thrown in prison for preaching the gospel? Okay. That guard's got to stand here and listen to me. And no matter how much I talk, and God wants him to hear about Jesus. I can't do ministry the way I've always done it, because of challenges or difficulties, okay. No obstacle is big enough to stop the mission of an infinite God who desperately loves the world and wants to see it live in peace with him. Let's find the opportunity in difficulty, church. So the first way Paul sees the world, the way his gospel lenses have uh, challenged him to see the world differently is in difficulty, he sees gospel opportunity. Second thing we see is this. In conflict, we see gospel unity. In conflict, we see gospel unity. Verse 15, 
Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So here's what was going on. Paul is apparently speaking of true believers who preach an actual gospel message. These are not people who are preaching a false gospel, false teaching. They're not preaching heresy. Years before writing Philippians, Paul sent a letter to the church in Rome to encourage them. We call this letter Romans, right? But at that point, when he wrote that letter, Paul had not been to Rome. He didn't know the church in Rome. In fact, he writes in the letter, I hope to come and see you. But apparently in Rome, there were teachers, preachers, who were working, but they didn't like Paul. Don't really know exactly what was going on, but from reading Philippians, it seems like maybe they were kind of gloating that Paul was in prison. And so what I, what I gather, the sense I get, I don't know for sure, but the sense I get is these teachers and preachers in Rome maybe saw Paul as a bit of a troublemaker. This guy from out of town who, who's just kind of stirring the pot, kicking the hornet's nest, and causing them problems. And I don't know, but the end result we seem to get from Philippians is that they were maybe a, a little smug, saying like, yeah, that guy... He got what he deserved. And as a result, they were preaching a little bit harder the gospel message of Jesus Christ to kind of stick it to Paul. Hey, you're in prison, and we're out here getting to do the stuff you really love. And once again, if I'm Paul, I'm discouraged, deflated. I want to give up. And honestly, I don't like those guys. But that's not what Paul does. Verse 18, he looks at that situation and says, What then? Only that in every way, whether pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what if every single one of us had that attitude? And this matters because it's easy to criticize the methods and the motives of other believers. It's easy to criticize the methods and the motives of other believers. And to get really specific, it's easy to criticize other churches or other believers over their methods or motives for doing ministry. When I was a young man, I'm I'm a Mississippi College graduate, I was a young man who thought he knew it all at the wise old age of 20 years old. (laughs) I'm now 36, but I would do that all the time. I would look at a church and judge their methods of ministry, and then I would assign negative motives to their leaders. This is not a gospel lens. Because look at what Paul says. He says, what do I care about their methods or their motives so long as Christ is proclaimed? And if he is, I rejoice. 
Part of the reason he says this is because he knows in the church in Philippi, there's already conflict happening. And what he's doing is he's he's setting the stage. He's saying, I want you to see the world like Jesus has changed it to be. That's how I see it. I want you to see it this way. When there's difficulty, when there's conflict, we look for gospel unity. At the end of the book in Philippi, he's going to, Philippians, he's going to urge this church, help these two women to agree because there's conflict. But already he's saying the most important thing is Jesus and it's Jesus who unites us, no matter whatever we would put in front of us to divide us. When we view potential conflict through whether or not Christ is proclaimed, then we cannot help but be unified as we proclaim Christ. So church, what would change if we sought to view potential conflict through gospel lenses? What if, rather than racing to our platforms to decry the latest conflict with our brothers and sisters in Christ, what if instead we celebrated that they were proclaiming Christ? The answer is that we would experience true gospel unity. The final way we, uh, gospel lenses change the way we view the world is this. In life and death, we see Jesus. In life and death, we see Jesus. Verse 18, second half. And these are some of the most powerful verses in Scripture to me. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. In spite of my difficulty, in spite of this conflict, I will rejoice because I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which of these I will choose, life or death, I can't tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In life and death, we see Jesus when we put on our gospel lenses. Paul says there, his imprisonment can end in one of two ways, right? The first is he lives, and the second is he dies. And that that possibility that he dies, he says, is a win. It's a win. Because if he dies, he gets to go be in the presence of Jesus. The one thing he has lived for his entire ministry, he finally gets to go do, to sit in the presence of his Savior and Lord. And this passage is special 
because we, we see more of Paul's heart. We see more of his, who he is personally than we do in many other places. And it's just so wild. He, he looks at this, 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 these two possible outcomes, life and death, and he says, I struggle. I struggle to know which of those I want more, life or death. Because if I died, I'd get to be with Jesus. But if I live, I get to be with you and serve you. And I'm challenged because I know that is not often my view. I don't often sit back and say, Lord, I don't know which, which I want more, to live or to die. And the reason is because my lenses are so often wrong. If you use any other lens, any lens to view the world besides the gospel lens, dying is not gain. Dying is loss. If you die, you lose success. If you die, you lose security. If you die, you lose happiness. But for Paul, sitting in prison, the lowest point that a person can be at in their lives, besides death. Paul looks at death and he says, that would be gain. Because I know I will get to be with Christ. And that's what he wants. And so we can say with confidence, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. And I think about that in my own life. And that's a phrase I have to preach to myself constantly. Drew, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The things that cause me anxieties and worries, I can look at those things. Sometimes I have to look at those things and say, Drew, these are the things you live for. Success, security, happiness. And yet they're nothing compared to gaining Christ and being in his presence for all eternity. And I live into that and grow into that day by day. I'm not there yet, but by God's grace, I hope to be. But Paul, even though he says to live is Christ, to die is gain, even though what I want is to die, he says, but I'm confident that I will continue to live. And Paul says, and if I do live, guess what? That's a win too. Because he'll get to continue teaching and preaching that Jesus, whom he one day says, I will die and gain eternity in heaven with him. In life and death, a gospel lens lets us see Jesus. So when we have this gospel inside out transformation, scripture tells us we're a new creation. We're accepted by God. We have eternal life with him. But what happens is we put on these other lenses and chances are, if one of these things are off, it's an example that we are putting on the wrong lenses. And so in difficulty, we should see gospel opportunity, not discouragement and shut down. In conflict, we should see gospel unity, not the desire to fight with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And finally, in life or death, we should see Jesus. Because in life and in death, we get more of him. So here's the thought I want to end with. And it's a question. 
Would you like to live a life of full courage? Would you like to live a life of full courage? The word brave gets thrown around a lot today in Christian circles. And I like that. It's, it's a good word. We should want to be brave. But I think we often want to be brave for the wrong things. You need courage to obtain the things you think are important to you. And if our lenses are wrong, success, security, happiness, if those are the things we say are most important, then we think I need courage to get those things. But here's the problem. All of those things are temporary. And the reality is, even though we want to be brave, to have courage, we will always live in fear because those things can disappear in an instant. But when we put on our gospel lenses, when we see the world as God intended us to see it in Jesus, suddenly we can look at those things and value them for what they are. Nice things, yes, but not the ultimate thing. Because the gospel of Jesus tells us the ultimate thing is Jesus alone. And it tells us that when you have him, you don't have to worry because you can never lose him. You have him now and forever. And that alone gives you true, full confidence. It changes everything when we view the world through a gospel lens. Only when we see the world with gospel lenses can we see the world as God intended and live rightly in response to him. So here's, here's what I want you to do. I want to give you a challenge. I want you to think about your life and ask yourself, where am I viewing my world with something less than a gospel lens? Where am I viewing my life with something less than a gospel lens? Maybe it's, it's one of the three I mentioned. Maybe you would say, I know that the most important thing to me is not Jesus, but success. And I live in fear as a result or constant stress. Maybe for you, you would say, for me, it is security. I've tried to arrange my life so that everything will turn out right. But I keep finding that life does not want that for me. What would it look like to put on your gospel lenses and see the world as Jesus intended? Maybe for you, you would say, I view the world through happiness. I always make every decision. How will it make me feel? What would it look like for you to put on your gospel lenses? And as you think about that, I want to give you one practical challenge to do this week. And it's simply this. As you think about that thing in, in the morning, afternoon, evening, whenever you have time with the Lord, reread these 14 verses and ask God to show you, God, will you help me see security, success, happiness, whatever, as you see it. Help me put on gospel lenses as I spend time in your word. I believe if you will do that, if you will saturate yourself with the word of God, learn to see as Paul saw while sitting in prison, I believe he will renew your mind as he's promised us and help you to see the world differently. Y'all pray with me. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus, your son. That, Lord, through him, you make us right with you. God, I pray that we would be a people 
who could proclaim with full confidence to live as Christ, but to die as gain. Father, I ask that all the things in our lives that we look at and we think, God, I don't want to die because I don't want to lose that. We would simply trust you with it and learn to value eternity and heaven with you and life in your presence now more than anything else. Help us to live your truth as you transform us in your spirit. Father, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.